0: No purchase necessary. VGW Group. where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.
1: The following podcast contains explicit language. I want to tell you my secret now. I see dead people. Silent Green is people! No, I am the father. Oh, Robert. What's in the box? you Blow it up! Damn you all to hell! Hello, and welcome to Slate Spoiler Special. Today we are spoiling Netflix's wild documentary series Tiger King. I am Sam Adams, the senior editor at Slate, and I am joined today by Slate's television critic and Tiger Queen, Willa Paskin. Willa, hello. Hi, Sam.
0: I don't know if I want to be the Tiger Queen, but maybe. <laughs> okay, yeah. Everyone who touches tigers is crazy and tainted. Yes, Didn't it make you like kind of just never want to like see a tiger again, except like in their natural habitat far away?
1: If the purpose is to shut down (laughs) private zoos, maybe it'll do that. But how does one describe this sprawling, messy series? The show has everything. Gay rednecks, polygamist cults, murder plots, and lots and lots of tigers. It's the story to begin with of a man who calls himself Joe Exotic, Ne Schreibvogel, who corralled dozens of big cats and other animals into his own private zoo in rural Oklahoma. And it's about the trouble he gets into when his addiction to fame, and not to put too fine a point on it, meth, overtakes his devotion to his animals. We are getting ahead of ourselves. Willa, what did you think of Tiger King?
0: I mean, it's almost like and you said this in your review, like almost any like qualitative evaluation of Tiger King fails in front of like the just enormity of shit that happens in Tiger King and like I think part of the reason it's been this huge success as America is essentially quarantined because it's like it's so crazy like everything that happens in every episode that at some point like it's not about whether it's good or bad right it's just like there is just so much insane things happening and every single person is like a deranged character who could be the subject of another reality show, but they just pale in like colorfulness compared to Joe Exotic. But I think that there's actually all sorts of like sorted and creepy stuff happening on the level of it as like a documentary series, as well as the sorted creepy stuff that's actually happening on screen and it's captured, you know, in great detail. And like applies to every single person that appears there.
1: Right. I mean, there are people who at least say they are taking advantage of this time and we may choose to doubt them in the privacy of our own homes. But there are people who say they're taking advantage of this time to read War and Peace or go through the complete (laughs) works of Ingmar Bergman. And I just can't concentrate on anything for more than 10 minutes. Yeah, Except Tiger King, this thing is so packed full of stuff that even as I'm sitting there like, I don't feel entirely good about watching this thing. I was just like, next episode, next episode.
0: Yeah, everyone's just watching Tiger King instead of doing something good. It is so much about America and like a very real American predicament. And like, I mean, it's not about how we got in this particular coronavirus situation, but it is a lot about how we got into our political situation. There's all sorts of like resonances and echoes. I mean, if it had been coming out At a different time, we'd just be talking about the way it's like a reflection of sort of Trump and like the Trump id. And you see that. But then also it's just like every single episode is like 10 true crime podcasts.
1: Right. I mean, this story we should mention has been told before there's a... Texas Magazine profile from, I think, a year or two ago. There was an article in uh, New York Magazine last year, which was also co-reported as, I think, a six or seven-part Wondery podcast. There is now this seven-part Netflix series, which runs about a total of five hours. And Even just watching the show, my feeling of it is it should almost have been done like sort of in the style of like the Steven Soderbergh series, like Mosaic, which was this kind of choose your own adventure thing where you could just choose to follow a character and watch them for 40 minutes and then choose another character because it's like, there's this one minor character who's this person who works at Joe Exotic's zoo and you see that he's on prosthetic legs for the entire series. And finally, in like episode six... He gets around to mentioning that he lost his legs in a tragic zipline accident. And then it just moves on and it never mentions it again. And it's like, can I just click on something and like follow the zipline guy for another hour? He's also like
0: maybe the only person who's not horrible in the whole show. Right. Although maybe he's horrible too. (laughs) I don't know. Like he sort of is the emotional center of the end. I mean, the thing about the show is so basically the documentary starts, it's sort of framed like, The documentary filmmakers are like, we stumbled into this, right? Like the documentary filmmaker, Eric Good, he is a conservationist. Like there's a New Yorker profile him from like 2012 about his efforts to like save turtles. He was sort of been doing a documentary about reptiles. And he basically, someone rolled up and had a snow leopard in their unair conditioned like truck. And he was just like, what is the deal with big cats? and big cat owners. It turns out big cat owners is like a psychological condition. I mean, like that's like the takeaway <laughs> from this show. So he gets into the world of big cats. And obviously it seems like he was sort of trying striking some omnibus, right? Like he meets all these guys who have big cats and Carol Baskin, who also has big cats, which we can talk about a little bit too. But that Joe Exotic emerges from this motley crew of big cat owners as the one who is like the most irrepressibly, insanely reality TV ready. And then as they're watching this sort of true crime story unfolds. So like, you know, you can see the bits of pieces of their other reporting. Like the fact that, you know, there's one man who owns a lot of Big Cats who claims to have been the model for Scarface, which seems like fairly reasonable. And like, he doesn't actually really figure particularly into like the plot of the show, but they like went and saw him and he's connected with everyone else. He's sort of part of like the cat trading world. So they include him and it's not like totally streamlined, which is fine. It's a weird world. It's like a sort of like slice of worlds with a true crime thing in it. It's not like that disciplined.
1: No. And that's another case where all of a sudden you're watching this series. It's essentially about like big cat owners. And here's this guy like talking about how he kind of got a raw deal from the authorities because he went to jail for the murder of a federal informant. And actually all he did was a hold the circular saw and help cut off the guy's head after he was already dead. Like that's his defense.
0: <laughs> right, right. And like the thing is also that in a way the cat stuff is like a kind of a fake out because while there is a lot of cat stuff in it, As it goes on, it really just becomes this sort of, like, increasingly sordid tale of, like, various wealthy but corrupt, creepy, like, you know, you feel like you're literally watching some season of Fargo, you know? Like, some just, like, two-bit hustler criminals, like, conning each other out of, like, a zoo that is, like, obviously... Not worth Like it just gets more and more sort of and sort of gets further away from the tigers. And you actually, there's a moment sort of at the end where you like to see these tigers getting like put into trucks late at night, and you're just like, These poor tigers are stuck in this like American hellhole, being like shuttled around like packages. We don't give a shit where they go. And like, we don't actually, for a show that was made by filmmakers who care about conservation, you don't actually like sit with any of the tigers and be like, What's a tiger's life? I mean, the last sort of speech that Joe gives talking about how he had these two monkeys next to each other for 10 years. And then he, you know, finally he gives them to like a ape rescue center and they like within days are just embracing. And he's like, did I rob them of that? I guess I did. And it's like, I don't know. You could have emphasized that he was robbing all of these animals of their like lives the whole time. Like they really don't hit as hard as they can on like the inhumanity and indignity of what they're doing to these creatures.
1: Right. I mean there's an article in Vanity Fair where Eric Good is one of the people interviewed in that and he sort of insinuates in that that maybe like Netflix kind of pulled the edit away from them a little bit and and maybe, you know, emphasized the sensational storyline but Netflix is
0: known for telling filmmakers what to do you <laughs> right, You're right.
1: Well, they give lots of notes <laughs> Netflix's only note to filmmakers is just make it longer but like <laughs> I feel like the original sin of Netflix documentaries is when the makers of making a Murderer went to them and said hey we have this idea for an eight-part documentary series and the Netflix's note was can you make it ten <laughs>
0: Yeah. Like this is too long. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'm just like, you could slice this anyway. Like it has a lot of connections to a lot of different things, but obviously there is like a duck dynasty sort of slumming it in red America aspect to this show that often when shows do that, I mean, duck dynasty is actually an exception because it really wasn't slumming it. The show seemed like it was coming from the same place. So it was like warm and authentic, like, right. Relationship to that family. This, you know, it's like, I mean, there is this way, right, where they're like, we're taking you on a tour of the craziest shit that ever happened. I mean, it really is very crazy. So, like, maybe that's why it doesn't have that quite ickiness that it sometimes has when people do that. But it's just like, buckle up. Here we're going to like really crass, low class, bad shit. There's something about the way the show does that. I think that's what sort of is the thing about this is my issue with the Carol Baskin stuff that I find like, sophisticated, but extremely seamy.
1: Right. Well, as you mentioned, I mean, we get introduced eventually to this whole kind of network and constellation of big cat owners, some of whom are just like wealthy people who pay, I think the going rate is something like $5,000 for a young tiger cub or something like that, and um, become these sort of you know private owners of the animals that probably end up eating their faces off at some point. But then there are also these kind of private zoos that exist all over the US. I've been to one in rural Minnesota that has, you know, various wild animals that should probably not be anywhere near rural Minnesota. But yeah, so Joe fits into this whole network of zoos. His model is a man who calls himself a Bhagavan Doc Antle.
0: And who is the creepiest. I'm expecting that person to sue them. Like, he is blood chilling to me. Doc Antle is basically like, it seems like he's maybe like the premier, sort of like the most well-respected big cat private zoo purveyor in the country. He's creepy in a whole different way than Joe Exotic is creepy, right? So he runs a very tight ship. He has a compound. He claims he's like genetically tested all of his animals so they're pure. But basically he appears to be sort of running a cult. Like Bhagavan means Lord. Like he's having people like speak to him like he's their king and ruler. He has women come and work there for I mean, he's he's a polygamist. They're all polygamists. They're all using tigers to get laid. It's really it's pretty incredible, actually. You know, they actually speak to a woman who worked for him and basically who he kind of strong armed into getting a boob job. And they don't even insinuate the implication is he is basically running a cult. And then also he's breeding these tigers. Tigers basically are only really lucrative when they're cubs before they can injure anyone. But they're great to take pictures with and cuddle and as soon as they get older they eat more they become more dangerous and they are a cash drain so they interview people who claim that he's euthanizing hundreds of cats as soon as they sort of pass out of this time and he's just like the
1: phrase like on-site crematorium is used at one point i think
0: right the guys are all savvy in their ways right they're all like reality tv ready there's a scene where the documentarian is talking to him he's like oh i know what you're gonna say you're gonna say i'm a cult leader like i've heard it all before like He's very, he's like pretty authoritarian and scary. He's creep master. He's like slicker. He's just slicker.
1: Yeah, there is, as you mentioned in the piece that you wrote about it, there is kind of a class dynamic at play here. They tell you at one point that Doc Antle spends something like, you know, $10,000 a month, maybe like per tiger feeding them or something. So it just runs to millions for all these tigers. And then we find out that Joe Exotic basically feeds his animals by kind of going to Walmart and pulling expired meat out of dumpsters and giving it to them. And that's like only 3,000. So he's kind of trying to do like a Doc Antle zoo on a Joe Exotic budget.
0: But all of these places, Doc Antle too, are like basically not paying their labor. They're having people work there. In Doc Antle's case, it's a number of women who are in love with him or are entrapped in his situation and they're working like they don't get any day off, like they work, work, work. And in Joe's case, he's hiring all these sort of ex cons and drug addicts who are going to have a hard time finding other jobs. And he makes a community where they are like welcome and they live in incredibly dilapidated trailers with very little resources, but they have like sort of these jobs and they have each other, but they're also expected to work for basically nothing. I mean, you do just think they should all be shut down. Like, this shouldn't exist, any of it. It's not good for the animals. It's not good for the people.
1: Right. So, Doc is sort of in the middle of this continuum in the sense that he seems to be, like, you know, prospering, you know, significantly from this thing, but is still, you know, kind of not maybe the kind of person you'd want to, like, spend too much time around, let alone, like, have him go over to your house. Now, the sort of, like, you know, nice, you know, respectable alternative to him is a woman named Carol Baskin, who you wrote about in some details.
0: She's sort of the main foil of Joe Exotic, both because she's really distinct from him, but also because this is, like, literally what happened in real life. Like, this is the true story of, of what they're chronicling. But Carol Baskin is a woman, a kind of hippie-looking, wide-eyed, affectless woman, a little weird, who runs Big Cat Rescue, which is, like, is a nonprofit big-cat rescue site basically where other people can no longer take care of their cats they take them in but having written this piece about her that was it was defending her in the scene of the show but i'm not like some i don't carol baskin seems hella weird too you know in the frame of the show the show sort of puts forward joe's own arguments like his own insults of her as like the argument against her is basically she's really no different from them she just has a better scam going on like she has a better cover story and she's no different because she also cages all of these animals And she makes money off of people coming to see them. And she has volunteers working hours and hours, Christmas weeks. I mean, they quote some volunteers for no pay. And basically, he's just like, she's full of shit. Joe Exotic is like, she's just doing exactly what I am. But she is all respectable and stuff. I mean, the truth is she's not doing exactly what he is in the sense that she's not breeding tigers for money and for petting. But you may not be a paragon of decency and virtue.
1: Right. So we know from the beginning, the series is a kind of unusual thing where it tells us there's a sort of like a little three-minute Errol Morrissey prologue at the beginning where it basically tells us where the story is going to end up, which is with Joe Exotic in jail as part of a conspiracy plot to murder Carol Baskin.
0: He like hired a killer yes. to kill her. Right.
1: Yeah. Because she was showing up on screen fairly early in the series. You have a pretty good sense that that did not succeed. So you could sort of relax a little bit there, which makes it more watchable. But before he got the idea to hire this man to go and kill her, Joe's main mission was to discredit her. The principal way he did that was by pushing this theory that she murdered her first husband, the one whose money has then kind of gone into founding Big Cat Rescue, and uh, fed his body to her pet tigers, which the documentary ends up devoting it's basically the entirety of its third episode. this theory right Um, and a lot of people are convinced by this
0: there's other things right which is that it's like a slow motion car crash right so basically carol baskin and joe meet each other because carol baskin is trying to put joe out of business because she's trying to put all of these small zoos out of business that are in big cats she tries to shut down his mall tours starts to do copyright infringement like because her google searches are so good and it escalates i mean joe's just like. He's totally unhinged, right? I mean, this is why he's charming too. He just does things other people wouldn't do. He firstly has made himself star in his own reality show. He's like creating a reality show of himself that goes on the internet all the time, and in it, he just talks tremendous shit about her. And the main line, as you say, is that she killed her husband. And the thing that's interesting about what the show does basically is that the story of what happened to Don Lewis, who is Carol Baskin's disappeared first husband. It's so weird. There's so many strange lacuna in it. Like it is a crazy story that they interview Don Lewis's ex-wife, his children, his secretary, his handyman. All of these people are like, this story doesn't make any sense. We think Carol Baskin killed him basically. And it's very compelling to have a show, make a case for an hour why she killed this person or why the situation is extremely shady. And the situation, by the way, seems extremely shady. Like he completely disappears. His will shows up like after she's broken into his office. And it literally says in the event of my disappearance, like no one's will says that. I mean, it's totally an insane story. Maybe she killed him and did something with his body. Maybe she, you know, the show is just so It's like the one thing the show doesn't know for sure. And they're like, we're making this argument. Meanwhile, they have literally all these people confessing to like absolute wrongdoing all over the show. And they're like, let's try to see this empathetically. It's like the fact that Carol won't admit it to them on camera, they're like, we're coming for you. You know? And like, she just is not a good reality TV personality in that way because she's not forthcoming. She seems like she's lying all the time because she is always sort of, like, laughing too hard and doesn't ever seem to have an authentic reaction to anything. Like, she guffaws about, like, Joe shooting a blow-up doll that's supposed to look like her in the head. And she guffaws about whether or not she killed her husband. She's always like, well, what are you going to do about... It just... She seems very fake. Like, she's not compelling. It starts to feel to me that it's, like, her actual crime in the world of the show is just that she's, like, not willing to turn it up to 12, you know?
1: Right. Because even... I mean, Joe gave them kind of extraordinary access, although you know, query the uses to which they put it. And Doc Antle seems to kind of lack the self-awareness to keep them out. But yeah, Carol seems very like conscious of her presentation in a certain way, but also completely like a babe in the woods when it comes to thinking about like how this is going to be edited and how you want to project yourself on camera, and that sort of thing.
0: She doesn't incriminate herself on camera. What is incriminating? Is that like, she's not very likable. I mean, that's the live wire word, but it's like, that's what's going on. Like she's really unlikable. And Joe for all the terrible shit that he does is actually extremely charismatic and his willingness to be himself, which is like this very unique figure just so completely is really interesting to watch, even though also he's obviously like, like mentally ill might not be the right term to describe his relationship to his own ego and fame, but it is like, he seems like he's basically like in a manic fugue for years and years and years where he, Wants to be, this is like an aside, but like, you know, when Britney Spears shaped her head, she had that real incident, and it was like, oh, if you were having like a psychotic episode and you were Britney Spears, like you would think everyone in the world was paying attention to you. But if you're Britney Spears, everybody in the world is paying attention to you. How do you like square what is really crazy for someone else with like your experience? And there's a way that Joe, like, it feels like that. It's like he has this will to fame and celebrity. He just wants people to pay attention to him, and he conjures both a reality TV crew who then footage he burns, basically, when he realizes has been too incriminating. I mean, that's what the show suggests. And this documentary crew to document his every movement. And he has someone who's paying attention to a lawsuit. It's like for someone like him, where attention is the whole point, you're just like, oh, like it's working for you. Your insanity is like very successful. And the show contributes to that. That's the thing. Like, to someone like that, how can a documentary be anything but gasoline?
1: Right. I mean, I'm so curious to know, like, how he's reacting to it now. I mean, one of the things that I find the most revealing about kind of who Joe Exotic is, one of the characters who shows up fairly early on is the producer of this reality show that Joe was supposedly making that, of course, never ended up getting made. But the producer says, "Okay, when I came to Joe, you know, here's this amazing character. You know, he was obviously trying to get himself out there. He had these, like, nightly, you know, web broadcasts where he would put himself out there on YouTube. And the producer says, well, when I came there and looked at him, the viewership for these things was, like, 80 people were watching them. So this is a man who was this incredible, like, I think he himself would describe it as, like, flamboyant personality. He describes himself a kind of gay, gun-carrying redneck with a mullet. Really sort of unusual, unique character. But also, like, totally... Somehow, in the year, you know, two thousand, whatever it is, completely unaware of like how to put himself out there into the world or on social media.
0: But it worked out. It was like so he had eighty people for like a minute. They found him. I mean, the fact that he's in jail as all of this is happening is like irony. That must be very hard. Like it's finally arrived the thing he's wanted his whole life, which is like he's a straight up famous person in America right now. Right, and
1: he's in jail. And Carol Baskin and Doc Antle can kind of bask in it, and he is still doing however many years he has left on his sentence.
0: They're not basking, though. Like, that's the thing, is, as bad as Joe is. I mean, like, Cardi B loves Joe. Like, it's just, like, people are into Joe. It kind of got really, like, complicated and weird, and I started to feel weird about him when he decides to run for governor. Like, basically, in 2016, after Trump wins, Joe, like, not wrongly, becomes convinced, like, why couldn't he win? And then he actually comes in third, he gets 18% of the vote. I mean, it's really dark. Like, it's a dark thing about like what people want. Like, if he ran for governor again, he'd get more. He's way more famous.
1: (laughs) Right. And one of the things that the series does that I don't know whether to, you know, kind of admire or disapprove of It seems to have a very conscious kind of, you know, hand on the throttle insofar as, like, how much of that to give you, how much of that darkness to expose you to. It does seem like the real story is, you know, far darker than what we actually get in the series. He had a whole, like, first husband who got sick and died that the series doesn't even mention. There's just so many more, like, tragic layers to this thing, and it feels like it just gives us the kind of you know, juicy, like freaky stuff on top so that we can just sit there and go, oh my God, this is so weird and not actually face like this is actually like really fucked up.
0: One of the really saddest things that happens in the show is that one of his husbands, who seems to be fairly unhappy, fairly trapped to be addicted to drugs, may be suicidal, but in this instance, it's not like jokingly pulls a gun to his head and doesn't believe there's a bullet in it and shoots himself in the head and murders himself in front of other people. And like, they literally show you the footage of the guy watching him do this. It's so horrible. And like, it's just like another insane thing that happens. They have people saying this is when Joe really lost it and he sort of gets it together by like two months later marrying a much younger man. But I, mean, I guess maybe it's there to see that Joe is just like so insecure and desperate to belong to somebody, but the show's not helping. It's not helping. I mean, not that that's what it has to be doing and these guys are shady, they deserve it. They made their own bed. But like, you're just like, oh, I am complicit in this really gross world.
1: Right. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? I don't know what your experience is of the kind of other people watching it or if you've talked to like friends or other people who've seen it, but people- I'm recommending the show. Okay.
0: But I've been recommending it just like fully and like we're in a really weird moment and it is fucking distracting. Yeah. Do you know? Like, I don't know that I would recommend it having finished it, but like at episode two and three, I was like, oh, this is insane. Like everything is insane that happens. It's like a, into a subculture show, you know? But- The thing is also that Carol Baskin, she sort of set up early on as Joe's nemesis. In addition to this episode that's sort of devoted to her perhaps having murdered her husband or disappeared her husband, you know, their conflict is like the engine of the show. But as the episodes go on, Joe's real enemies are the people that he chooses to align himself with. Like, these are the people that actually are the reason that Joe goes to jail. The show basically makes the argument that Joe did something wrong, but like, he didn't do it alone. And all these much shadier guys, his sort of business partner, Jeff Lowe, like should be in jail with him, which by the way, seems totally true. But that guy, Jeff Lowe and the other sort of like, honestly, like two bit criminal character that like Joe compares to someone from the Simpsons very convincingly, the documentary crew actually goes undercover. Like they wear a button cam to talk to, to find out what's actually happening with the feds. And then you're just like, why are you trying to get secret information about what the feds are doing in Joe documentary career? Like, the whole thing just starts to get, like, very out of hand. And those guys are so gross. Jeff Lowe is, like, so shady. He's so corrupt. He, like, brings tigers in suitcases to Las Vegas just so he can have sex with as many women as possible. Like, they have show a scene of his wife being pregnant where he talks about when she's going to lose the baby weight and how he had to make sure they hired a hot nanny. Like, he's the scum of the yeah. earth. And, like, his right-hand man is the person that Joe has been convicted of hiring to kill Carol Baskin. He's up to in his neck. And, like, he's the real enemy. And the show is, it's like, he's also too boring, you know? Right. And it's too complicated. It started to just feel gross to me when I was, like, hanging out with those dudes. Those are interesting in the sense of, like, here are these, like, rich American sacks of shit who can, like, just do whatever they want. But... I really hated them. And th- and there was a lot of them.
1: Right. And they kind of screw Joe out of the ownership of the zoo because he's in a position where at one point, Carol Baskin wins this trademark infringement suit against him. And then so she has like a multi-million dollar judgment. And in order to kind of basically get out of having to pay that or being totally financial ruined, to it, just signs the entire zoo over to this guy, Jeff Lowe, who's this sort of you know, Vegas wheeler dealer type.
0: And all of that just makes Joe seem like he doesn't actually know what he's doing, right? right? Like he's like, I'm going to go on my gut. This guy seems okay. And you're like, what? Yeah. Terrible idea. Yes.
1: I think that the series is kind of hamstrung by either the need to find a sort of likeable character in it when it seems like the true story is this should be like a Jim Thompson novel or someone where just everybody in it is like total like seedy scum wheeler dealer or maybe just picking the wrong person and maybe Carol Baskin you know should be kind of the hero of the story and they just can't bring themselves to <laughs> do that for you some know, reason but
0: they can't do it because like she isn't charismatic enough to be the hero of the story it would be better to do like a tiger world omnibus what the show really is doing is it starts out as a subculture show and it is a subculture show. You're in this weird world of big cats and something about tigers, right? Like it's obviously bringing out like egomania and machismo and all this weird stuff in people, but then it just turns into like, not that. It turns into something much more pedestrian, right? That's much more just like a sordid show about gross Americans who think they can just like do whatever they want and get away with whatever they want and can be horrible to each other and animals and like maybe they'll all get famous for it. I mean, that's what's compelling about it is it's like, oh, you think it's a slice of life and then it like blossoms into just like, This is the seedy underbelly of the whole thing.
1: There is an element of the story, too. You mentioned Joe kind of, you know, gathering all these sort of outcasts together, these kind of, you know, no-hopers, last-chancers. He's kind of giving these, you know, ramshackle housing to and basically having work sort of indentured jobs for him But because they don't have any better options. But, I mean, you get the sense that he is sort of one of those people as well. I mean, he's this really interesting character. He is, you know, this rural, openly gay Redneck, self-styled kind of country star, although it turns out this isn't even in the documentary, but it turns out he didn't even write or sing any of the songs that he is pretending to lip sync in these videos. But there are these weird, like mainstream country music videos, but they also have these unabashedly gay references. Like they're not, you know, coded or ambiguous. This is like a man singing love songs to another man in a mainstream country song, and it's just like Maybe it's just that he can't be anybody else if he tried. But there is something really kind of like poignant and interesting about that, about this guy kind of trying to carve out a space for himself in the world that doesn't exist. Um, Yeah. Then he's also this guy who is, the show seems to go kind of light on the extent of animal abuse that's probably going on in this place. The fact that he's basically, his husband seemed to basically be... Straight guys who are kind of trading sexual favors for meth or financial security or or something else—it's just all this big cauldron of yeah.
0: No, but he is very compelling, like, and his willingness to just be himself and like let his freak flag fly, and not just like be himself and be like I deserve renown and attention, and like we like that in people. We reward that, right? Someone's like, I am just myself, and I deserve to be recognized.
1: I mean, it's like if they'd actually made the reality show and he had been the reality TV star that he clearly could and should have been like 10 years ago, you know, maybe there wouldn't be this documentary series and he wouldn't be He would in have jail. avoided yeah. all of
0: this, yeah.
1: He'd, he'd probably just be another like kind of scummy reality TV show star, but at least he'd be out of jail.
0: Right. And the show's point of view almost seems to be like left to his own devices. He never would have done this. He would have, you know, harassed Carol Baskin indefinitely online. He wouldn't have gotten it together to, like, hire a killer, you know? Everyone who works for him seems to think that. That sort of struck me. Eric Good in in, in an interview, too, said, like, you know, Joe is full of all these crocodile tears, right? Like, he's always lamenting something he did wrong, but it lasts for, like, one second. I don't think they think he's, like, just a good guy, you know? But I think they think he's sort of hapless and, like, so self-obsessed that he wouldn't
1: He's not like a schemer, right? Right. I mean, he's like, you know, there is, especially when he is kind of ranting about Carol Baskin. He'll be doing these little, what seem to be like promotional videos for the web, where he's kind of talking about his zoo and walking around the tiger enclosure and just talking about the cats and how much he loves them. And it'll be like, yeah, yeah, and that bitch Carol Baskin wants to come in here and ruin all this. And he's like, dude, you're like ruining the mood. Like, you just want to be talking about <laughs> how great cats are. But I mean, this is a guy whose idea of like covering his tracks is like going in front of a webcam and like, You know, taking a blow-up doll, writing her name on it, and then shooting in the head with a real gun. Like, this is not a guy who has subterfuge, like, in his makeup.
0: Totally, totally. So the show sort of makes all these sort of detours, but the through line is this sort of feud between Carol and Joe, which sort of climaxes when he pays someone $3,000 to go kill her. The person he pays actually doesn't do it and boffs off to another state and doesn't do it. But when the feds who sort of are investigating this actually find out and who have gotten in touch with Joe about, you know, sort of trying to set up another hit to sort of arrest him when they find out that he paid this guy, they swoop in and Joe ends up being arrested going to trial where he testifies on his own behalf and getting sentenced to jail for 22 years where he still is, you know, the show interviews him throughout all this process and has a number of interviews with him on the phone in jail they make the case that, like, he certainly didn't act alone and that there's all these people that have immunity for cooperating with the feds who probably were more culpable in the situation and that the investigation actually might kind of be ongoing. But yeah, the show sort of ends with Joe in a cage, as many people in the show say, and sort of, like, underscoring the irony of that. Did you, like, feel dirty afterwards?
1: A little bit. I mean, (laughs) I feel like, I mean, I've seen like so many kind of, you know, Werner Herzog movies and stuff that by that standard, this is like not even that weird, but I did feel like I didn't like what the filmmakers were doing with the material or like how they were presenting it to me. Like, I felt like it was teetering on the edge of kind of like just a gawk at the freaks kind of presentation in places.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's what's sort of interesting about it, right? They hold on to like just enough classiness that it actually is what makes it feel worse because you're just like oh you're doing just like let's gawk at the total crazy situation but you're giving it like this patina of like some higher mindedness some meaning some like something classy something you know intellectually interesting the show is doing like what they sort of are accusing carol baskin of doing right because what they hate about carol baskin is that she's like putting on airs. She won't like cop to being just down in the dirt with all these guys. And that's what makes her a hypocrite. It is that she's rich and she knows how to work the system and that makes her think she's different from them. And that's what's so odious because she's the same. But the show seems like it's basically pitched at the Carol Baskins of the world, right? And has some like judgment about these guys. But like, it's actually just a reality show.
1: She is the one who has like the money and the influence to go to Congress and like lobby them to pass this like, you know, yeah. big cat rescue bill and stuff. But then like, you know, Doc Antle also has the money and the smarts to kind of, Bring these tiger cubs to these Congress people that are going to vote Congress- on this bill, and then <laughs> yeah. get them to take selfies with the tiger cubs. Then it's like, oh, now you want to pass a law outlawing the thing that I just took <laughs> a picture of you doing. Right. It's insinuated in the show that that's like why this legislation hasn't passed yet is because he's kind of got all these selfies of them with totally. tiger cubs.
0: And like one of the things that I didn't write in my piece that I thought the show was a little weird about was. They're very clear that all of Joe's video harassment stuff of Carol is not illegal. And I'm not saying it's illegal, but they're so blithe about it. Like if there was a person was making a web series like every day where they were like, I'm going to kill that bitch. And you were that bitch. You would be like really unsettled and freaked out about that person. Even if Carol Baskin can't actually express that on camera. And the idea that like, after she wins that copyright infringement suit, it's so beyond the pale that she was trying to close the zoo. The zoo that's doing this thing she doesn't believe in ethically. And also this guy who's been literally harassing her by threatening to kill her, right. even if it's not real for months, is like, that's not really like a fair... Like the fact that they sort of suggest that her and her husband's eating oysters and shrimp like when they find out Joe's going to jail is like so reprehensible of them. And it's just like, guys, he, he tried to kill her. Right. <laughs> like... He might not be the only one, but he did do that. Like, if someone tried to kill you and they went to jail, like,
1: you can eat shrimp. Yeah, that's okay. That's a you shrimp. You would maybe day. be yeah. like,
0: okay, I'm glad the guy who tried to kill me isn't like out there. Like, that's where I'm just like, it tips over too much. If someone was doing that to someone on Twitter, you'd be like, God, I'm so sorry. You know, right. like he was just doing it for weeks and weeks and weeks and months and years.
1: Right. One of the things that leaves me a little kind of uncertain how to feel about it is I did an interview last week with this guy named B.G. Barham, who was the singer of the alt-country band American Aquarium. And he is from rural North Carolina originally. And he put up, I think, maybe the first YouTube cover of the song I Saw a Tiger, which figures kind of Joe's theme song. <laughs> And I asked him, you know, what is, I mean, because I've seen people say like, oh, this just feels like this kind of, you know, redneck safari thing. And he was like, you know, every town has a person like this. Yeah. Usually it's the mayor, you know, and they have places like this in the (laughs) South and they have them in the North, they have them all over the place. And like the accents might be different, but like, he's he's like, I know this guy, I recognize this guy, you know, I have uncles like that, whatever. So I think there definitely is that sort of vicarious, like, oh my gosh, look at these weird people. But I think for... At least some people watching the series is sort of like, oh, yeah, like, that's that guy I know. I totally, I know this whole story. and
0: Totally, but the documentary filmmakers are not those people. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, they're not like, I know this guy, you know? You can feel that. That doesn't mean it's not a good subject for a documentary.
1: One thing that keeps going through my mind is, I think the logline for this series came out in December or January or something like that. And it seemed, like, pretty juicy. And it seemed like one of those Netflix things It was like, okay, this might be a thing. Like, you never know. But I was (laughs) like, this seems you know, like there's potential here, but I wonder how much of, I mean, the total phenomenon this thing has become usually often open the spoiler special saying like, you know, should people see this? Should they not see it? But it just seems pointless to even indulge that question because at this point, everyone's either seen tiger King or has decided they're not going to see tiger King. Like (laughs) no one's left undecided about this thing. Yeah. I mean, do you think that it would have blown up in this way if we weren't all like confined to our houses 24 seven?
0: I mean, I think it would have been a big thing, but it wouldn't have been this kind of big thing. It's just this funny thing about all Netflix and like all rating stuff. It's like, what would it have meant if it felt like it was a big thing before? Now you're like, it feels like it's a big thing and probably the numbers are actually enormous, you know? I don't know. I mean, it's pretty
1: crazy. Yes. Know.
0: It has all the markings of like a Netflix true crime. I mean, making a murder was a thing. This is like a
1: thing. I mean, it is crazy. It's like bingeable. It is like meme worthy. It's all those things. I think the fact that it has like almost nothing to compete about. I mean, there hasn't been like a movie released for weeks and there might not be one released for months. Definitely like helps it in that respect.
0: Totally. But it is like the most pure uncut reality TV shit. I think that's clear to everyone watching it. I think that's clear to everyone in it. I think that was clear to everyone making it where it's just like, oh, this is like the diamond grade. Like this is the distilled version. Like this is like, what happens when people like who grew up watching reality TV and want to be on reality TV, like do that like back and forth. And it like gets purified every single time until suddenly you're like at Tiger (laughs) (laughs) King. Like that's what it feels like. It's just like the most potent slingshotted premium grade crack Tiger King, you know, like that's the
1: show. So 20 years from now, what will the people who grew up watching Tiger King become?
0: (laughs) I do think the subculture stuff like does matter because sort of more pedestrian reality shows, like thinking about like a regular reality show to do where like they make a whole episode about someone throwing a table. (laughs) Like that's not going to cut it. Like someone throwing a table, like there's probably 10,000 tables thrown that were on the editing room floor. Like that's a nothing to this show. You know, it's sort of like, it's just so far above the sort of like manufactured drama of most reality shows. Yeah, there's like, probably like a barn filled else. with
1: broken tables on Joe <laughs> zoo somewhere. Well, like, yeah.
0: No, also, like Sam, just for example, in that New York Magazine story, the guy who was making the reality show about Joe... He had all this footage. It was on Joe's property. At some point, this alligator barn with all this footage, someone commits arson and it is blown up. Tiger King makes the case sort of without quite out saying it that Joe probably was the person who burned it down because the footage Or had was too... it burned
1: down because it happened on like a, the one night that he happened to be out of town for something else. Like whoops. Right.
0: Everyone basically seems to think Joe probably did it. His inside job, there's two, but like that guy's house was lit on fire six months later with him inside of it. Like he survived. But you're just like, oh, that didn't make it. I mean, like, that's the kind of show Tiger King is. Like, the follow-up, within a year, his home not there, gets arson that can't make it. That's Tiger King.
1: (laughs) That is Tiger King. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, thank you, Willa Paskin, for joining me for this discussion.
0: (laughs) Thank you, Sam.
1: (laughs) That's our show. Please subscribe to the Slate Spoiler special podcast feed. And if you like the show, please rate and review it in the Apple Podcast Store or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have suggestions for movies or TV shows we should spoil, or if you have any other feedback you'd like to share, please send it to spoilers at slate.com. Our producer is Rosemary Belson. For Willa Paskin, I'm Sam Adams. Thanks for listening.
0: It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash.